This is Trex and Sci-Fi podcast number 278 for May 9th, 2010. This is Jeff, Jedi Jeff on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums. This week I'm guest hosting the podcast for Rico. I'll be covering the classic sci-fi show, The Time Tunnel. Thank you, Rico, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this show. Two American scientists are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during the first experiments on America's greatest and most secret project, The Time Tunnel. Tony Newman and Doug Phillips now tumble helplessly toward a new fantastic adventure somewhere along the infinite corridors of time. The Time Tunnel aired on ABC for one season from 1966 to 1967. There were a total of 30 episodes. It was a show produced by Irwin Allen who also produced Lost in Space and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. The theme music for the opening was composed by John Williams. More information on that can be heard in Vartok's guest cast earlier in the year. The show followed the adventures of two scientists, Dr. Tony Newman and Dr. Doug Phillips, as they traveled through time. A lot of the episodes dealt with events from history, such as D-Day, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the War of 1812, and the sinking of the Titanic. Later in the series, they started to show more episodes that were more science fiction based. You can see some similarities in the time tunnel in such shows as Sliders and Quantum Leap. Would you step into yesterday, or tomorrow, or a million years from now? This is James Darren inviting you to let your imagination take flight as two scientists are launched into the endless dimension of time through the Time Tunnel. The Time Tunnel had five regular characters which appeared on the show week to week. I'll talk about the one which is probably most recognizable to us Treks and Sci-Fi listeners first, and that would be James Darren. James Darren played the character of uh, Dr. Tony Newman on the show. He was the uh, the younger scientist slash time traveler of the duo, and uh, he, like say, he was played by uh, like James Darren. James Darren is probably also um, quite um, well known at the time because, um, like say, he had quite the career before he was on Time Tunnel. In that uh, he was a, a bit of a, I guess, a teen actor and also a singer, so kind of a well-rounded. Um, entertainer i guess and um i guess popular with the the younger people at that time so probably one of the reasons why they had him on the show what makes uh, james darren recognizable to the rest of us would be that he appeared later in his career on uh, star trek deep space nine and he had the reoccurring role of vic fontaine that smooth kind of nightclub owner which um they kind of run the ran in uh, Quark's uh, Hollow Suites. Anyways, uh, James uh, James Darren was um, probably the kind of the, the, the big star on, on the time tunnel at the time. Uh, reading a few notes about, um, about James Darren, his real name is not actually James Darren, it's um, James Ercolani. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, but um, 
probably the reason why he changed it to James Darren is it just uh, Ercolani or or however you pronounce it just uh, doesn't roll off the tongue as well as James Darren and uh, apparently he took the the surname of Darren from uh, the name of a popular car back then uh, so that was kind of an interesting note kind of looking through his his um, kind of credits I guess uh, James Darren's credits uh, one of his um, one of his other roles is um, he played um, a police officer on T.J. Hooker, I guess. So, I guess he worked with the the Shat. Um, I I watched a few. Um, I watched T.J. Hooker back in the day, but uh, to be honest, I I don't remember it all all that well. So I don't really remember his character in in the show. Um, uh, I'll I'll admit here. So, but um, I'll take their word for it that uh, he was on the show and uh, on for quite a few episodes. He also seemed to um, be a guest star in quite a few uh, television shows from from that day, you know, kind of 70s and 80s. Uh, we're looking at things like Fantasy Island and Vegas and Hawaii Five-0. Actually, um, was also in the Flintstones, I guess. Uh, I guess he did some voice work for the Flintstones. And uh, there was a character which was kind of the Stone Age version of James Darren, which uh, I thought was kind of interesting. He also later, um, he began to direct as well, and he directed some episodes of T.J. Hooker, The A-Team, Hunter, Walker, Texas Rangers, and then also uh, Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place. I um, thought that was kind of interesting that uh, you're looking at some action shows here and then, you know, some kind of teenage shows, but I guess maybe being a popular teenage actor that uh, you might have had some insight into that. One of the things that I always kind of found interesting about um, the the Tony Newman character was uh, he was kind of the young scientist on the team, the young time traveler, but uh, he didn't really look like a, like a scientist uh, per se, uh, the way he was dressed. Uh, he was kind of wore like uh, some trendy clothes for that time, like he had a kind of a green, green turtleneck. I'll get that out properly there, green turtleneck and some nice boots and <laughs> And some fancy pants, and he just didn't really look like a like a, like a scientist. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And here's a clip of actually James Darren talking about uh, you know kind of that green shirt. I don't know why, to this day, I wore that turtleneck sweater, the, the green turtleneck sweater. What was that part of? Why was Tony Newman, who was a scientist, wearing this this kind of hip Beatles? kind of garb, you know, with my, my, my gray pants and my boots. I had little whatever those boots with the Cuban heels were at that time that Billy Joel sings about now. Uh, and, and a green turtleneck sweater. And Bob with that, with that jacket on, that, that suit, that tweed or whatever the heck it was, um, suit. I mean, they were, they were kind of strange choices, those, that wardrobe, I, I thought anyway. I don't know what, it, what, what, the, what the alternative could have been uh, probably a million things, but I don't know why the hell I ever wore that turtleneck sweater. It was it was a killer because what happened was, um, it was wool to begin with. It wasn't cotton. It was wool because of co of course wool would last a lot longer. Would it would it would and I say last longer when you you could wear it all day, uh, and it wouldn't wouldn't get out of shape, you know. But what happened was it was bothering me around the neck, so I had them install a zipper. In the, in the turtleneck and I had them line the turtleneck with silk so that uh, it wasn't wool against my, my neck 
but it was but but silk it was something that was easier on my on my skin than than wool uh, and it wasn't cashmere I could tell you that so it was it was uh, not terribly comfortable at times but w- with with the zipper I could open it up and let it fall open and of course not have this thing around my throat all day and then with the silk it, it just when I did have it zipped up it was much more comfortable interesting there uh, how he's talking about that shirt and uh, how uncomfortable it was uh, like I say it's just something I always noticed when I first wa- started watching the show was that the, just the way that James Darren was uh, dressed the other lead character I guess on the show was uh, Dr. Doug Phillips the other uh, scientist slash time traveler and he was played by a gentleman named Robert Colbert uh, I looked kind of up uh, a little bit of the history on Robert Colbert. Um, not a lot of genre work there for him. Uh, looked like uh, he did some westerns back in the day, like Maverick and Bonanza. Looked like as well too. He's you know like later in the seventies and eighties, he did kind of the your kind of standard shows there, like Simon and Simon and Hunter and Dallas. Uh, so it, like I, said, I couldn't really find a lot of um, information on him. Um, past like his like just kind of what he worked on Uh, one kind of interesting note um, apparently uh, when he was in the time tunnel or well he was in the time tunnel for the whole show Jeff but uh, anyways when he was in the time tunnel uh, his stunt double was actually played by his brother anyways um, here's a kind of an interesting clip um, about Robert Colbert talking about kind of his experiences working on a time tunnel I think it was a six-day shoot on the show and usually one day was for the tunnel and five days were for the exteriors and uh, all the happenings. We didn't have time to think ahead. Thank God Irwin did because uh, uh, with about three shows at one time going, the man was a genius and he hired good people around him. And uh, we would come in and just be amazed at what we were going to be called upon to do the next week. I don't remember at that time of thinking of shows that I might particularly like to do, which I think if we'd gone in second and third year, all of us might have come up with some suggestions, and I'm sure Irwin would have listened to them. But uh, when you're there from 7 in the morning until maybe 8, 9 at night, on any good day, 14-hour day was nothing. You didn't spend much time thinking about the next script, let alone what you personally would like to inject into it. And every script that came out was very interesting. Because, I mean, when you're in Krakatoa one day, you're on the moon the next. And being an anthology series like that, where every week you had a whole different cast. Jimmy and I were out there. The tunnel was fairly consistent. They brought Sam Groom in at one time as one of the new um, tunnel um, technicians. And there weren't a great deal of changes inside the framework of the tunnel. But outside, Jimmy and I would run into an entirely new cast of people every week. And some fabulous performers. uh, Just... uh, uh, people who went on to like Robert Duvall and Mako and and uh, you just you name it. There's so wonderful, wonderful people that would. And every week, we would be more excited about wondering who the cast was and who we were going to be working with because we were fans too, you know. And there we were. We never really knew till about the time we got in wardrobe who was going to be playing uh, the show that week. So that made it really, really fun. I mean, it wasn't like suiting up and going into work with. Uh, a set framework our fourth wall was real deep that's sort of interesting way he talks about um and maybe that's kind of what kind of makes the time tunnel a bit interesting in in the sense that like i talked about there's five regular cast members but um 
each week since they're kind of traveling to different uh different places and different times they're always kind of um like say the the two characters of dr tony newman and uh dr doug phillips are always kind of encountering different people so i guess uh like say those those two actors james darren and uh, robert colbert they always got to work with different people each week and uh like say so i guess that's interesting in, in the sense that uh like say it was just you know such a i guess a diverse um set of people that they could work with since uh, kind of you know the the story story kind of changed week to week the next character i'm going to talk about will be dr ann mcgregor she's probably another one which is probably quite recognizable to us because she's played by a, le- a lady named lee merriweather and of course lee merriweather um was the cat woman on batman on that batman movie um back in the 60s and also, too, uh, she was also in um, Star Trek. Uh, she was actually in the Star Trek original series. Um, she uh, played, uh, she was on the episode That Which Survives. I think that was the one where I'm for you, Kirk, or I'm for you, Spock, or I'm for you, McCoy, or something like that. I remember that, you know, they, you know, this, they just keep on sending this lady after these guys, and she'd make the, whoever, uh, Whoever uh, she said she was for, um, you know, they couldn't be touched by her. Or they'd get killed or something like that, I recall. Anyways, um, I got an, an interesting clip here as well uh, about Lee Merriweather talking about how she was cast in the time tunnel. I really don't know how I was cast in the show. I don't remember ever reading for the part. Um, I had done some work at 20th Century Fox. I was around the lot, a lot. I was, I had played Catwoman in the first Batman movie. Um, I had done a movie, I think I had done a movie with, uh, with John Wayne and Rock Hudson. And I had done A Land of the Giants. Now as to whether that, where that was in the time frame of Time Tunnel, I don't, I honestly don't remember. I haven't done my homework. I'm, uh, as far as putting everything chronologically together in my life I've <laughs> just begun thinking about writing a book so I, <laughs> I haven't done any any really heavy-duty work on it but I I don't remember ever reading for the part I don't remember meeting Irwin until I was on the set I honestly have no memory of of meeting him prior to playing Anne McGregor that's kind of interesting how she uh, just didn't really remember her uh remember her kind of uh interview or or even uh how she got cast in the show i guess you know like i said it was such a long time ago uh you know and she's probably done so many shows and so much work that uh, she just couldn't remember and i just found that kind of interesting like oh how'd you get cast in the show i don't remember it's just somehow i just showed up and i started working so it's just interesting uh her her take on it and she played again like she played the um she worked back in the kind of the the time tunnel control room like saying she played dr ann mcgregor and um the other character that actually worked uh, side by side with her was um was a character called dr raymond swain and uh, he was kind of um after uh tony and doug um jumped into uh like time i guess or after they both uh went off on their their journey i guess uh he was kind of um, left being the uh, the lead lead scientist in charge of the time tunnel since um, before Dr. Doug Phillips 
was was the one who's in charge and uh let's say tony newman was the uh the second scientist in charge and then they left um dr raymond swain was left to be the kind of the lead guy in charge and and i guess dr ann mcgregor would have been the uh the other uh, top scientist uh, in charge of the time tunnel while, while the others were out, uh, I guess, uh, traveling around time, I guess. Uh, anyways, um, that character of uh, Dr. Swain was played by a fellow named John Zaremba. Again, um, not a lot of um, not a lot of genre work. Like, I guess he appeared in Batman, it looks like here. Uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, lots of westerns. Um, Lots of westerns, of course. Uh, looking as well here, uh, Little House on the Prairie. I guess that's a western. Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> but anyways, I just thought I'd, I'd mention it. Um, like I say, he was a, an older gentleman uh, when he was on the show, so uh, he passed away. Uh, it looked like um, he passed away about 15 years ago, something like that. And the last character which was uh, on the show uh, was a fellow named Whit Bissell, and he played kind of the general in charge of the of the time tunnel project so like say we had the scientists and then uh since this was kind of a military project as well we had someone from the military which was in charge of it and uh we had uh a lieutenant general haywood kirk was the person who was in charge of the time tunnel i guess from a military standpoint um he was an older fellow as well too and um what makes him kind of uh maybe recognizable to us uh Star Trek fans was um, he was actually in a in a classic Star Trek episode. Uh, he was in that very popular Trouble with Tribbles episode, and he played um, Lurie, the um, the fellow who was kind of in charge of the uh, K seven space station, um, the one which kind of asked um, Captain Kirk to come and uh, and uh, make sure that the Quadratricale was. Uh, you know the, the problems with the Klingons and the Quadratricale, and uh, his character um, yeah, like sent the request for uh, the Enterprise and Captain Kirk to come, come to K seven uh, space station. Uh, not on, you know, that was based off uh, what Nils Barris, I think, was the one who uh, forced him to, to uh, put the request in. But anyways, um, so, uh, so, so the fellow who played uh, General Kirk was uh, also appeared on Star Trek, um, kind of looking through. Um, through some kind of the work that he may have done, uh, genre work as well. Besides Star Trek, uh, he was also on uh, Soylent Green. I guess that was kind of a movie in the 70s. I recall watching it. I uh, don't remember it too well, but uh, I do remember seeing Soylent Green. Uh, he was in, um, I guess he was in a, in another uh, movie called The Time Machine. I think this was um, Time Machine back in the 60s. So I guess he's got some experience with uh, time travel here. And also, too... Um, he was in a movie called I Was a Teenage Werewolf, and I guess he was the evil evil scientist or evil doctor. Um, this was a movie which had uh, Michael Landon, who was, uh, was in Little House on the Prairie and Bonanza. Um, he was in that movie as well. And also uh, looking here, uh, a whole bunch of westerns and uh, that great western movie, The Magnificent the magnificent seven as well so uh so the fellow uh whit bissell uh, again he was kind of an older fellow uh passed away i think yeah probably around 15 years ago as well too so um he's no longer uh no longer with us as well but uh he had a he had a great character and um i always kind of i always liked his character because uh he 
you know like say he wasn't really he wasn't a scientist so he's always kind of standing around um, kind of not really barking out orders but uh, he didn't have a lot to do at times um, you know but he was kind of the guy who had to make the kind of the decisions in the end you know like say the, the scientists would give him the information and then he'd have to make the decision since he was kind of the the guy in charge and um, like say it was just uh, like say he played that role pretty good and uh, I remember watching a few episodes there too, you know, it was just, you could really see the kind of the, just the time that that show was made in that, uh, you know, like hey, he always, uh, always had a cigarette in his hand or, or in a few episodes he'd have a cigarette in his hand and just like, it just looked odd that, uh, you know, in these days and age, um, you know, you don't really see people working in kind of like a, in like a, a lab or, or like a, a work area, you know, like smoking, but uh, back in the, in the 60s um i guess that was more commonplace another thing uh, i didn't kind of i forgot to mention this before which i always kind of found interesting uh like say between the two uh kind of uh, tunnel tunnel uh, scientists you know were kind of working the um working the controls um like say dr swain and dr mcgregor um they seem to work pretty well together as well you know kind of trying to help out um Tony and Doug but um, again maybe another 60s type kind of uh, kind of uh, thing here was um, always kind of funny because you know there'd be problems on the tunnel and uh, you know seemed like a lot of times um, like say Do Dr. Ann McGregor there would be uh, the one who was uh, kind of uh, working the dials or the knobs on the on the machine and then she'd be having problems you know like uh, getting a fix on uh, Tony or Doug and uh, it'll always be like Dr. Swain would just kind of, um, you know, he'd step in and, uh, you know, he'd fix the problem. But all he was really doing was uh, turning uh, dials and knobs, too. So I'm not sure if that was just an, another thing from the generation where they're just kind of indicating that, um, you know, like, say, the man's got to step in to kind of finish the job. I'm not sure. It just It just seemed funny, you know, like, say, she's a more than well-qualified woman on that project. And it just always seemed like... In the end, at times, you know, the Dr. Swain, the kind of lead scientist, would have to step in and he'd basically do the same thing. And, you know, like he'd turn a knob or two and, and fix the problem. And it's just like, hmm, why couldn't she have figured it out? But uh, I thought that was kind of a, kind of an interesting thing and always made me kind of uh, chuckle a little bit when I saw it. When you enter the time tunnel, almost anything can happen. <laughs> The Time Tunnel, in color on ABC. The pilot episode for the series was an episode which is called Rendezvous with Yesterday. I felt that this episode really set up the series quite well, gave a lot of uh, good background on the series, good background on the characters, kind of a good background on the situation. The episode opens up with uh, a senator who is actually uh, coming to kind of uh, check on the status of Project TikTok, the, uh, the top secret uh, time travel uh, project that is being funded by the government. And he, he's there to uh, check the kind of status on it. Kind of opens up really interesting in that he kind of flies into in on a jet into the desert of Arizona. And the jet kind of lands out in the middle of the desert, not even at an airport or anything like that. And then he's picked up by a car and he's 
he's taken to the uh, to the base, which is kind of interesting as well because they show the car kind of going across the desert, and then there's kind of like this kind of secret entrance, and the car kind of drives down into the secret entrance, um, and then it gets kind of covered up again. It's got this kind of really kind of cool '60s vibe to it, um, which I kind of really liked. Uh, just a real cool opening to the to this series. Once uh, they get into the uh, into the base, uh, um, Doctor Doug Phillips is is with with the senator, and he's he's kind of taking him on kind of a tour of of the uh, the base, and it's it's quite a big base. Uh, they kind of walk through it, and uh, they explain that the the base where the time tunnel is located is um, eight hundred uh, floors deep, and it houses about thirty six thousand uh, people working on the project. Which kind of leads me to think if this is a top secret project. And there's so many people working on it that you would think it would kind of get out there a bit more. Anyways, I'm going to play a clip now which kind of sets up kind of the opening of the series. Well, Leroy, what do you think? Pretty expensive toy. Toy? Hardly a toy, Senator. According to your reports, all you've ever sent back in time are mice and monkeys. So far, yes. How do you know they weren't just disintegrated? Well, disintegration would cause some residue in matter. Have you ever returned any of these animals to this laboratory, safe and sound? Hmm, not yet, no, but we Then, have... so far as we know, this whole thing might be just a fancy disappearing act. Isn't that true? Actually, at this point of... You're account... guessing, Doctor. And so far, your guessing has cost the United States government seven and a half billion dollars. This way, Senator. Tommy! Could you come out here a minute? Doc! It's gonna work. I just finished the polarization and it just feels right. Take a look. Senator Leroy Clark, Dr. Anthony Newman. Excuse me, Senator. Doctor. You seem a little young for that title. Not to mention being number two man on this project. His youth is only a disguise, Senator. Inside is an old genius struggling to get out. I'm glad you were interested enough in our project to pay us a personal call, Senator. Let's just say I don't like to scrap billions of dollars by just sending a memo. Scrap. Tony, the senator feels our experiments haven't shown enough success to warrant the time and money invested. But we're so close now. Close to what, son? To sending a man back in time and returning him, of course. Well, then do it. No more promises, boys. I want a fact I can grab hold of. By when? When? You and the general have been on this for ten years. You've been with the project almost seven. I say the time is now. You mean today? That's right. Because tomorrow afternoon I'm flying back to Washington to write you a blank check or cut your umbilical cord. Leroy, we are not ready to risk a life. Doug, let me try it. Absolutely not. We just give up, is that it? We put our lives into this project. I'm not going to commit murder and I'm not going to allow you to commit suicide just to satisfy a budget. That's no answer. That's not even science. Excuse me. He seems a little emotional for a scientist. Well, anything else you want to show me? Plenty. Roy, we haven't even begun. Senator. Basically, the, what was covered in that clip was that the senator had kind of come to check on the status of the top secret project TikTok. And he's determined that uh, the amount of money that they've sunk into it so far 
was was really high and he's not really sure that um, they're really getting any results that warrant uh, the government to continue funding the project. So that's why the, the government sent that senator there to uh, determine if they should um, continue on funding this project or not. As you can tell in the clip, um, Dr. Tony Newman, he was quite uh, upset when he heard the news that um, potentially they might, um, you know, kind of mothball the, uh, the project um, due to a lack of results. So uh, he's decided uh, to take it on his uh, own accord and he's going to, um, he's going to uh, test the tunnel out to prove that uh, it does work. And in this next clip, um, we kind of uh, hear the results of uh, Tony, um, Tony uh, taking a trip in the, into the time tunnel. Doug, can't you stop him? Not now, he'd burn alive. George, start the countdown. 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, What's happening to him? 10, 9, He's in a radiation freeze. 8, 7, it's the first step in his relocation. 5, 4, 3, Pray that it works. Location probe. Jerry, see if you can synchronize the time curve. Ray, give us a power and distance ratio. And find what specific radiation Tony used. I'll try. Well, where is he? He could be living in yesterday or next week or a million years from now. How do you know? You've got your guinea pig, sir. Doug! Okay, take a sock at me if it'll make you feel any better. But I'd still like to know what's going on. Tony just finished developing that radiation bath. That was the blue mist you saw just before he disappeared. Now, in theory, this should give us a magnetic fix like a homing device to enable us to locate him in time. In theory? But what if it doesn't work? Well, then he'll be lost in time for the rest of his life. So in that clip, uh, Tony goes into the time tunnel uh, against the wishes of the uh, other people working on the project, and uh, he, I guess he goes back into time. And uh, now their their job to do, um, like say the um, the the time tunnel project or time tunnel team's uh, job to do is to locate them. They kind of explain kind of how the time tunnel works in a sense, in that um, kind of goes into what they kind of say is a radiation bath, and that kind of allows them to kind of kind of track um, the time traveler uh, in in history or I guess in in the future uh, where they where they're located, and it kind of allows them to get what they they term as a fix on on that time traveler uh like say that term is kind of used quite a lot throughout the series um the term uh getting a fix on like tony or getting a fix on doug they use that quite a lot within the in the series uh you know like when they're kind of tracking them through time another kind of interesting thing actually is the um is a set for the time tunnel like they actually built a a giant um giant uh, set for for the time tunnel and actually built um i guess the time tunnel i i guess what you would say it's, it's kind of a big kind of long tunnel looking type kind of uh device i guess that's why it's called the time tunnel um like say and then the actors um can walk into the time tunnel and um when they walk into the time tunnel though the other team the other technicians will will set it up to to transport the that traveler off into time or on the other hand they'll actually bring people back from time or back into um into the the project area or the the time tunnel area 
So it's it's kind of a really interesting set. Um, like say I'll, I'll try and um, get a a picture so that uh, it can be included in the show notes. So anyone who hasn't seen the show before will have an idea of what the tunnel looks like. So after Tony's trip into the time tunnel, um, it does successfully work for him, and uh, he's able to travel back in time. Uh, unfortunately for uh, Tony, um, he travels back in time and he lands on the Titanic and uh, I think we all know the history of the Titanic in that it sunk on its maiden voyage so basically um, like say they've tracked Tony and they found him in time and they found that he's on the Titanic um, with the time tunnel like I was explaining before uh, they have uh, they're able to kind of um, you know through that radiation bath they're able to get a fix and um, locate the time traveler and also on the time tunnel they also have a screen which will kind of project the uh kind of where they are in in history or or in the future i guess or where they are in time so they're able to kind of see tony on on the titanic back in history kind of maybe a you know a similar type kind of idea to maybe the guardian of forever in that uh, star trek episode you know, where they're kind of viewing kind of things from time. But in this standpoint, they're kind of using the time tunnel to, and that fix to kind of uh, view where like Tony and then Doug at a later point are. So what they've decided that since Tony's um, on the Titanic, he's been kind of, um, he's been kind of captured and he's been uh, locked up uh, below deck on the Titanic because, um, you know, he's he went to the captain and he explained that he was from the future and that the ship was going to uh, sink and that uh, they needed to change their course. And, of course, um, they thought he was crazy. They thought he was a spy, so they locked him up. So Tony's stuck below decks, and, you know, there's that risk, um, you know, that, you know, the Titanic is going to um, hit that iceberg and that Tony's going to die. So what they decide is uh, that they're actually going to um, send uh, Dr. Doug Phillips back to, you know, to help Tony get out and then also to maybe they might have a better uh, chance at um, warning warning the captain of uh, the impending um, collision with that iceberg. So here's that clip of the decision to uh, send uh, Doug back in time. Doug! I don't know if you're picking me up. If you're just getting sound, I'm on the Titanic, locked in a forward cabin just above the waterline. He's a prisoner. It's 9.15 a.m., April 14th, 1912. I don't know when it's gonna sink, but... They've got me locked up because I tried to warn the captain. He's right in the middle of the section that was slashed open by that iceberg. What about the date? Titanic struck an iceberg late on Sunday evening, April 14th, and sank during the early hours of Monday, April 15th. Then he's got about 14 hours. 14 hours. No, he hasn't, Senator. Tony's locked in a room that could be flooded as soon as they hit that berg. No, we're the ones that have 14 hours if we're going to try and save him. Well, what can you do? Theoretically, we can suspend Tony in his time zone and remove him from it. But during that suspension, Tony's body processes, his heart, his breathing, his tissue regeneration would all stop. Unless we can return him here or to some other time zone within seconds. We'll kill him. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? Not exactly. There were over 300 men who survived the Titanic. Now, Tony knows what will happen. Now, if he were free on board, he could be one of those survivors. Yes, but we can't free him by remote control. No, but we could go back and help him. Doug, no. 
yesterday. You refused to let Tony do what he went and did on his own anyway, and you were right. What do you expect to do now except die with him? Well, what do you suggest, that we just sit here and watch him die? At least my way, he'd have a chance. Now, remember, I'll appear there dressed for the period and prepared with a fax. That reminds me. Have research get me a copy of a New York paper dated April 15th, 1912. Doug, you and I worked together long enough for you to know that I don't give orders just to play soldier. I know that, Woody. But just this once, it might be the right thing to do. Now, we have a friend that's in danger. You're trying to protect me from that danger. I appreciate that. But if Tony weren't back there, this research would have come to a close. Isn't that true? All right. Tony's risking his life to succeed where I failed. Now, if we don't have the faith in what we're doing here and the guts to back up that faith... Woody, Dr. Newman took off on his own like a map. If you let this man go, it's a cold-blooded responsibility you might have to live with the rest of your life. Would you let me go if oppositions were reversed? Probably not. I'd turn Tony down. But I'm hoping you're tougher than I am. Prepare your briefing procedure. I'll organize a countdown. So Doug's kind of decided that the kind of the only solution to uh, help Tony out here is for him to uh, travel back in time to uh, the Titanic as well, and uh, like I say, help Tony out, and then also um, maybe help uh, the ship, uh, you know, uh, get them to change their course, and um, maybe they won't hurt, hit the iceberg. Um, I felt, um, you know, some of the reasoning behind uh, Doug's decision to go back seemed a little weak in the sense like they're going to take back a newspaper and they're going to use it to um, kind of prove uh, that the, um, that like say that there there was a disaster for the Titanic. And I'm just, I'm just wondering, even back in the 60s, um, I'm not sure if someone pre presented me with a, a newspaper and said that uh, you know something bad was going to happen and they claimed they're from the future I'm not really sure if I would have I would have believed them as well actually so I, I think that's I don't know it just seemed kind of like a kind of a weak weak kind of uh, thought or idea on like how they're going to prevent um, you know the um, the disaster of the Titanic um, also um, being that um, uh, Doug is, is like the lead scientist on the uh, on the time tunnel project uh i'm not sure if um you know him being the one who goes back to help tony seems to make the most sense um like i'm not sure why you'd send the your top person back if, if the only uh the only thing is to to send him back uh you know to get tony out of um out of the you know kind of out of the under uh levels of the ship you know get him out of the locked room and uh maybe try and convince the the captain i think you could probably send uh another person uh, like say you don't really need to send a, a scientist like your lead scientist so I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, decision but um, again that's the series you know that the you know Tony and Doug are kind of the lead people so I guess um, you know the series is around them so I guess that's why you would send them um, this next clip is uh, Doug Goat travels back and uh, this is the clip where he meets up with Tony Tony Are you all right? That radiation gimmick of yours was great, Tony. We were able to home right in on you. Why, I could even pick up the sound of your voice right through those bulkheads. And I was able to pick this point in time exactly. You were out of your mind to come here. 
Now we're both stuck on this ship. Leroy! Leroy! Something's coming through. No, we're not. I have this. The guard's coming back. They're together. And regulate the probe for 50% less radiation absorption. It's no good. The captain won't believe it. He thinks I'm some kind of conspirator already. He'll say I had it printed. Why did you come here? Well, I had to. Well, you would have done the same for me. But you know this ship is going to sink tonight. Maybe not. Doug, they won't listen, I tell you. I have tried. Tony, what if we were to get into the ship's wireless? Take it over. What if we were to wire for help before the collision? There'd be no Titanic disaster. Exactly. Well, you're not afraid to try, are you? So Tony didn't think it was a very good idea for Doug to come back as well. Uh, like say, and uh, like say, when he met up with Doug, he was going like, "Why? Why'd you come? Like, uh, you know, this isn't a smart idea. I gotta agree with Tony. You know, it wasn't a very smart idea. But again, as this kind of makes makes the show. So I guess, so it was kind of an interesting uh, decision uh, again by Doug. Uh, so basically, what happens next is is they break out of the um, out of the room. You know, Doug gets um, Tony out of the room. And then they go go to the the radio room and um, they try to radio some other ships to um, you know warn them of the um, problem coming you know where the you know Titanic's going to um, to uh, hit the iceberg. Um, needless to say, um, you know they they kind of get stopped before they are able to. Uh, you know they try to present the the newspaper to the captain, uh, like say he doesn't believe it and just throws it out and. Uh, they're locked up again. Later, the uh, Titanic uh, hits the iceberg. The captain comes back, goes, well, what you've told me has come true. I can't believe it, but um, here we are. So uh, basically, uh, the show kind of ends with, um, you know, like them kind of helping um, helping some people escape uh, from, from the Titanic. Uh, like, say, in the story, uh, like Tony met up with, uh, with a young lady who had, uh, I believe it was a brain tumor, and she was going to... Um, New York to uh, have uh, have uh, neurosurgery on her head done uh, to you know to um, correct her her problem and uh, Tony convinced her to uh, to continue on with that she was just going to stay with the ship because she thought uh, like say she was going to to die anyway so she she wasn't going to go but Tony uh, convinced her to go and then also Doug when he um, arrived on the ship he met up with a with a little French boy and who was uh, down in third class and uh, Doug helped that French French boy and his family get onto a ship so their lives were saved as well so there's a couple of little side stories so basically it like say they weren't able to really do anything for the Titanic it was going to sink anyways so they there wasn't anything they they could do but they did manage to save some people right while the ship was going down um, like say the time tunnel staff were able to uh, to uh, transfer uh, Tony and Doug to another place because like say unfortunately they haven't perfected uh the time tra travel yet so they're they're not able to bring uh, tony and doug back back home so all they can do is just kind of send them to another point in time and um that's kind of where the the series goes is tony and doug seem to travel to different points in time uh 
you know, nothing really in their control. And it always seems like they always land in, in some kind of uh, bad situation. The next episode I'm going to talk about is probably my most favorite time tunnel episode. This episode is called The Day the Sky Fell In, and it's based on um, the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor at, at the beginning of uh, World War II. Um, this is kind of an interesting episode because it's a real Tony episode in the sense that it, it kind of uh, digs into uh, Tony's past and... Um, it revolves around his father who uh, worked in the military and uh, was uh, working at the uh, Pearl Harbor base at the time of the attacks. Um, here is the uh, first clip uh, from the episode that I, I picked. Wow, out of the lion's mouth. You know, they must have been burning their secret codes getting ready for the attack tomorrow morning. I wonder how far away Pearl Harbor is. We used to drive it in 15 minutes. My father and I. Your father? When was that? I was living here at the time on this very day. I was seven years old. My mom had died the year before. I was staying with my dad. He was a lieutenant. Lieutenant commander. Shore based here at the naval station. What happened to him? I don't know. He was reported missing after the attack. Never found dead or alive. Doc! Whatever did happen to him, he's alive now. December 6, 1941. I can see my father again. Find out what did happen to him. Maybe warn him. Well, I'm with you, Tony. We better get to him as soon as possible. Where was he based? Naval base? Wait a minute. I remember I spent that day with, with, uh, with Billy Neal. That's right. He was my best friend. And later in the day, my father came. He came for dinner. He ought to be there right now. The Neal home isn't, isn't far from the base. I think I can find it. Come on. Tony and Doug have arrived at Pearl Harbor in 1941, just before the, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor by the uh, by the Japanese, uh, they kind of landed in a uh, in the Japanese consulate, and they kind of um, saw the Japanese are kind of burning papers and kind of um, destroying some evidence um, related kind of to the uh, the planned attack on Pearl Harbor. So uh, basically, uh, what kind of happened was uh, Tony and Doug kind of got chased out of the consulate by the uh, by the the Japanese um, consulate people. And uh, Tony's kind of realized that, uh, like, say, he had uh, lived on uh, Hawaii at the time of the attack, and he's he's realized that uh, they have arrived before his um, before the attack, and uh, his father was uh, still alive. And I guess um, you know this is kind of uh, given Tony uh, Tony the idea that maybe he might be able to uh, warn his dad of the attack, and and maybe uh, might help um, save his dad from. Um, from possibly dying or, or disappearing at the time uh, Tony wasn't sure what had happened to his dad after the attack so um, they decided that uh, they're going to go and warn Tony's dad I find this kind of interesting as well that um, throughout the series they, even though they never really um, change how how the events kind of work out 
they never really seem to have any problems about um, attempting to try and change history. And I kind of find that interesting in the sense that, you know, we've watched lots of other um, shows, especially Star Trek, when they've dealt with uh, with the time, they've always kind of had a strict policy on that and trying to preserve kind of the time timeline. And, and in the time tunnel here, um, Tony and Doug, it seems like uh, more often than not, um, they're always going to try and change uh, change history. Uh, you know, like say if, if something bad's going to happen, they're going to change it. And uh, like say they never really consider the consequences of it. And uh, I kind of find it interesting here that, uh, you know, Tony's going to try and, and maybe save his dad. Like say I can't fault him, you know, like if I was in that uh, same position, I'd probably attempt the same thing as well. So uh, basically what they've decided is they're going to go and they're going to, like I said, warn Tony's dad of this uh, this coming attack. So the next clip here is uh, Tony kind of meeting his dad after all the years that uh, he hasn't seen his dad. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a good clip. Yeah, what can I do for you? Have we met before? Yes. Many years ago. That long ago? You must have been very young. Yes, sir. But I've never forgotten you. You wanted to see me? We've come to warn you, sir. If you go to the base tomorrow morning, your life will be in danger. What do you mean? Somebody's trying to kill me? Oh, no. No, please don't ask us to explain. We can't. And if we did, you wouldn't believe us. But if you do go there, you might die. What, are you drunk or is this some kind of a threat? Who are you? Please, you've got to believe us. You've got to. Commander, we're trying to save your well, life. Now look, I want the truth here. I'm going to call the police. Sir, we know for absolute fact Japan will launch a mass air attack on Pearl Harbor tomorrow morning at 7.55. Well, that's impossible. It couldn't happen. Sir, it will happen. Their fleet couldn't approach us without our knowing about it. Japan has deployed one-third of her fleet toward Indochina to make us think that her next move will be southward. But at this very moment, the other two-thirds of her fleet are approaching Hawaii from the north. What's your source of information? At Annapolis, you studied higher mathematics, even thought of being a mathematician. How did you know that? You're familiar with relativity mechanics. The concept and use of time is a real dimension. Yes. And that it's possible to travel in time as well as space. Well, maybe. It's only a theory. Years and years into the future. Exactly. We come from the future. In days to come, Commander, every American will know the words, remember Pearl Harbor. Remember what at Pearl Harbor? Remember the attack we just told you about tomorrow morning. Now, you're not drunk. So all I can assume is that you're both a pair of lunatics. Commander, please, you've got to... In either case, I find your behavior highly offensive, if not dangerous. Again, it's kind of so common in um, in these episodes where uh, Tony and Doug uh, travel back in time. Uh, you know, they try and tell someone uh, something bad's going to happen or, or warn them of, of what's going to happen. And, uh, of course, no one ever believes uh, what they tell them. Uh, like I say, it seems to be a common theme in a lot of these episodes that uh, Tony and Doug, no one ever listens to them and they come off looking crazy. But, again, I must admit, if... Uh, if someone came to me said they had come from the uh, the future and were, were telling me uh, some of the things that they're telling these people, I might I might say the same thing. So, uh, like, say it was a a, a great um, a great clip there, a great scene from that episode. 
like say Tony getting to to see his dad after all those years and uh, like trying to to warn him of of like say the the attack uh, coming on Pearl Harbor. As the episode kind of plays out, um, like say Tony and Doug, they're kind of um, they're captured by uh, by the some uh, Japanese spies, I guess, who are um, kind of working um, with the uh, Japanese military uh, in preparation for that coming attack. So that Tony and Doug are kind of captured and they're they're kind of um, trying to um, get the the kind of the truth out of them about how they they know the um, the plans of of the Japanese. Um, so as the episode um, goes through, like say Tony and Doug, they're you know they have to kind of um, you know battle against the the Japanese people, and then they're also trying to get back so that they can uh, warn uh, Tony's dad about the attack again, and also to um, uh, there's concern because uh, there's little Tony, so um, there's uh, like like our time traveler Tony, and then there's little Tony, and they're both uh, both in in the episode, and, and they're a little concerned because little Tony is staying at at their friend's house, and uh, as as Tony recalls, um, like say when when the attack happened, the, the house that uh, that uh, little Tony was staying at was uh, destroyed, so they also need to um, try and get little Tony out of that. Um, that house so that he doesn't um, he doesn't get killed in the attack because it is possible that if he got killed in the attack that um, um, possibly that uh, that big Tony might might never uh, never be so so that was a, another kind of story running through this episode uh, the final clip I'm going to play uh, I think is it's a really great um, scene and it's it's seen right at the end of the episode uh, you know like uh, Tony's dad has um has realized that uh, the attack has happened and um and he's he's now trying to uh to warn um one of the uh, the ships to uh stay away from Pearl Harbor uh, since the attack is coming on and, and and Tony goes um you know and it's kind of the last scene that Tony has with his father before his father passes away we're trying to reach the enterprise Send the message. If it's still in commission. Oh, that's my job. I'll do it for you, sir. Lie still, I'll get help. You're bleeding. Save your strength. That's what I've been saving my strength for.
said you knew me a long time ago. And that you've always remembered. My name is... is Tony Newman. Tony Newman. I know you. I know you as well as I know my own son. I... I am your son. That was a great scene between Tony and his dad. And um, I, to me, that was kind of one of the highlights of the series. Uh, I kind of wish that more of the episodes would have been as strong as this one. I like say I really like the idea how they kind of um, went back into Tony's past and, uh, you know, like kind of explored that a bit more. Like say for the most part, um, you know, the episodes were, you know, you know, more just kind of episode driven and not as much character driven in them. So it would have been nice if um, maybe over the, the course of the series that they, they would have done a few more kind of character episodes like like this one. And uh, like I say, it was a like a great episode. And this is one that I probably enjoyed the most. Um, I'm just going to uh, finish off here with a, a clip about James Darren talking about this episode. We all know that Pearl Harbor happened. Um and that we could never have stopped it from happening because it is part of history. But this situation in, within that, that horrible thing at Pearl Harbor was what was interesting to me as an actor to go there and to, to see myself as a child and then to see my dad, who I had not seen since that time because, of course, he was killed in Pearl Harbor or at, at Pearl Harbor. So that made it great for me just to, I mean, as an actor to, to be able to play that. It was it was wonderful. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. It was certainly one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I think about it now, and I think about what a nice, you know, actors have certain things they like to play, and that was something I loved. If you like a good science fiction story, then you'll like The Martians Are Here podcast by Australian author Stefan Sonon. The Martians Are Here podcast is a science fiction serial around 15 minutes per podcast episode set in the not-too-distant future. It's a story about two alien species from very different origins who bring their ongoing war to Earth with disastrous consequences for humanity. The story is told through the eyes of five people who must piece together what's going on in order to survive. This is what happens when biology, technology, and adaptability collide. The Martians Are Here podcast on iTunes and on themartiansarehere.com. I'm going to play a few uh, clips here from a few different uh, episodes of the Time Tunnel now. Not 
not a in-depth look at a episode or anything like that just uh you know some sample clips from a few uh episodes the first one here will be a clip from an episode called visitors from beyond the stars and this one is kind of uh indicative of kind of how the series was um kind of going in the in the the second half of the season uh it brought in a lot more um sci-fi elements into it and um maybe got a little away from where the historical aspects of the show so uh, here's a clip uh, from that uh, episode you are now in a translation circuit you are intruders from another dimension from which planet do you come from the planet earth we did not know you had the capacity for teleportation. We're time travelers. We landed here completely by accident. That is of no concern to us. Test them against our remote data on the composition of Earth beings. Stay. We better do as he says. and bone structure corresponds to our remote data. Internal organs, same. Glandular system, same. All present physical data corresponds to our remote data. Well, now that you know all about us, who are you? We are from Alpha One, operating under Space Directive Lentos for a test raid against Primitive Planet One Six. Our terminology is different. Can you show us Planet One Six? Our landing is imminent. So basically in this episode, um, Tony and Doug, um, they, uh, I guess they time travel onto a, an alien ship. And uh, at first you think that they're, they're in the future, but uh, later it's revealed that they're actually uh, in 1885. And these aliens are actually on their way to, um, to invade Earth. Um, basically they want to go to Earth. Um, they just sent a scout ship out out to earth and basically um what these aliens do is they go and conquer worlds and and they take all the protein from the worlds because they need the protein and this episode um like i said before it basically kind of um it was indicative or indicative of uh kind of where the series was kind of going um in a sense uh, like say more science fiction elements were uh kind of uh coming into the show and um 
they're kind of uh going away from kind of maybe some of the more historical episodes that they had in the in the first part of this show or the first part of this season and uh these these shows which they had aliens um were interesting in the sense that um seemed like week to week the aliens um looked um fairly similar uh, they're all kind of uh, silver skinned um type people and uh like say it was um kind of interesting i guess in a sense kind of kind of how the show kind of changed a bit in a sense from from kind of the historical standpoint to the you know putting the science fiction into it and um i'm not sure like say it kind of uh uh, it reminded me of a lot of Lost in Space, actually. Like, like the sets and the aliens, um, they looked a lot like what you would see in Lost in Space. Um, really, um, like say, just really just had this the same look. The you know, like kind of the the darkened sets um, with the uh, you know with a with a few props uh, in the room. Uh, like say, probably from a budget standpoint, you can't dress a setup. Uh, really fully uh you know because it's going to cost a lot of money and um so like say they kind of kind of went that lost in space route and i'm not sure like say that the episodes were interesting enough but um they certainly weren't as strong as some of the um the episodes earlier in the season um like say this this episode kind of it kind of made me laugh uh, because like i was watching it uh you know just um collecting uh you know some information for this podcast and it kind of um this episode and a few others kind of uh kind of reminded me of the recent story there um like there's an article uh recently about uh Stephen Hawking's and he's talking about um you know first contact um possibly in the future with aliens and and how he's advising against earth not um to make first contact with aliens because he feels that um you know that uh like say earth could be conquered and uh just kind of these episodes kind of remind me of of that uh that article in the sense that uh, it seemed like every week uh you know like when tony and doug were encountering uh, aliens if the episode had aliens in it it always seemed like they wanted to uh, conquer earth and uh like say and, and they didn't really have anything um any anything to do but they just wanted to conquer earth like they wanted either like the protein or they wanted the oxygen or there was uh something else like they want you know just to you know take these people and take their knowledge from them things like that and it was just uh like say it just reminded me of that article of stephen hawking's and it's just like hmm yeah this just seems a lot like these time tunnel episodes when they run into aliens the next uh episode or the next clip i'm going to play is um it's one where um tony and doug run across um like robin hood and the merry men i heard something Oh, just a bird. I <laughs> a bird. A large green bird. Ready to catch a couple of worms. Out of the frying. What was that? Speak up, man. We're strangers. We're just passing through. <laughs> Aye. Well, you must be a couple of Frenchmen. Why no Englishman would be buried in such clothes? <laughs> Little worm, if you defeat me, you can go free. Aye, but if you lose, we're gonna skin you both alive. <laughs> ah! 
Вася! to Robin Hood's band. Robin Hood? Yes, we're his followers. I'm Friar Tuck. <laughs> You've already met little John. You know, I always thought that Robin Hood was a legend. Oh, a living legend? Why, everyone in England tells of the deeds of the Earl of Huntington when he was an outlaw. Huntington's being held prisoner in King John's castle. A prisoner? Why, he went to them in peace. Oh, we'll storm the castle and carve John's heart out. With a handful of men, we wouldn't stand a chance. Now, let's get back to our camp and put our heads together. Are you with us? I guess we owe it to him. We're with you. <laughs> Not in those clothes. We'll get some proper green for you both. That was a fun episode. Uh, like, say, earlier in that episode... Um, Doug and Tony had run into uh, Robin Hood or the Earl Huntington as uh, they were referring to him uh, at uh, King John's um, castle. And then, like say later, you know, like after they escaped the castle, uh, you know, they ran into um, ran into the Merry Men and uh, a little bit of a little bit of a fight there between Tony and uh, Little John. Um, like say it was kind of a it was a fun episode again, you know, kind of um, no kind of mixing, you know, maybe a little fact and fiction together there. Uh, like say that, which seemed uh, what uh, they did a lot on the time tunnel, you know, not not quite as accurate on on history as uh, as um, like say maybe originally planned that the show is going to be a bit more maybe a bit more truthful in the in the history, but um, you know. Later, they kind of, you know, it's just more about the story and not, not so much about the facts. I um, thought that was kind of a fun comment right at the end with get them into proper greens. You know, like say earlier in the uh, podcast, I was talking about um, Tony and his uh, green turtleneck and it was just uh, kind of, uh, I thought it was a, a fun little line. The next clip here I'm going to play is uh, a clip... Um, it's a clip about, uh, about an, an episode where actually... Um, um, Anne McGregor, or Dr. Anne McGregor, uh, like I say, she works in the uh, time tunnel, uh, you know, uh, time tunnel facility, and she actually gets um, transported um, into the future by an, an alien race. Um, like I say, they have their own time machine, and uh, she gets uh, transported into the future. And uh, so, uh, what they do is they actually um, they use the time tunnel to uh, send uh, Tony and Doug to um, to rescue her. So here's a clip from that episode. This place has several functions. We call it our teleport chamber. What's that there? It is our own time machine. Simple, isn't it? But all truly great things are simple. How is it controlled? That information is classified, but you're about to witness a demonstration. Step back, please, and watch. This is the official 
unusual time traveler attached to my project. We call him Ott because of the initials of his title, O-T-T. We no longer use surnames, of course. Mission completed. Where did you get that? Uh, this is the correct part. That's all, thank you. That's a space-time converter. From our complex. The tunnel is useless without it. Which is precisely why I sent for it. Now that you're here, I don't want your tunnel taking you back before I'm through with you. What are you going to do now? Probably kill us. By no means. I must have you alive. I need you for my project. And just what is this project of yours? Later. Take them to their quarters! Interesting episode. Um, to be honest, that one kind of, um, kind of brings up this kind of big plot hole for kind of the whole kind of time tunnel series for me like say because at the start of the episode um like say these aliens um um they transport to uh like to the uh, time tunnel facility and then they take um dr mcgregor and uh, and they take her or Anne, i guess i'll just call her Anne. they take Anne and they they take her back to their time um but when they leave they they leave this um this this metal data card which is on the um on on the floor they they kind of leave it and they leave that on purpose because um like say that they didn't really want they didn't really want Anne they really wanted uh, Tony and Doug so they they needed to get some sort of bait so that they could get uh, Tony and Doug to like say to their because to their um to their base or their time I guess so that uh, because they, they they knew they'd want to come and and they'd rescue Anne um I guess um you know, there's a couple plot holes there. Uh, I guess the other one would be like, how would they even know about Tony and Doug? But um, I guess, uh, you know, the big one for me really is, so like I was saying, is they had this data card, which um, gave the kind of the, the coordinates um, to tell their time, Tony and Doug's time machine, how to get Tony and Doug to um, to theirs to, uh, to rescue them. So anyways, they input the information into it and then... Um, um, they switch the time machine and they send Tony and Doug to uh, rescue Anne. But the the question that um, really uh, really weighs heavily on my mind, really, for this whole series, is if they were able to send Tony and Doug uh, to uh, to that that time frame with the coordinates, then like why is Tony and Doug trapped in time? Like why can't they just put the coordinates into their own time machine and just send Tony and Doug back to the, you know, the regular time, like back to their time, uh, like when they left, like the whole, the whole uh, thing about the series, the whole is that they're, they're stuck in the, the, the time machine or the time tunnel. They're stuck in the time tunnel and, you know, they get transported from one time to the next time to the next time because they don't seem to have the ability to bring Tony and, and Doug back. Like say they just, you know, there's, they're still working on, um, perfecting the machine so they can get Tony and Doug back to the proper time. But in this episode, they were able to get the coordinates from these aliens and send Tony and Doug to, to rescue Anne. And like I said, I just, I don't understand how, um, you know, they just couldn't put the coordinates in and, and get them back. So I guess, uh, just seemed like a kind of a, an interesting episode to have and to have a really, uh, large plot hole in that, uh, in the end, Anne did get back to her proper time. Um, actually um used uh, the aliens uh, time machine to send her back it was kind of an interesting episode in that these aliens were um they're grabbing people from from earth's history and then they're just basically turning them kind of into like zombies i guess in the sense they're just kind of draining all their 
their memories and and all the knowledge out of their head because these aliens were um like they're just kind of creating a, like a profile on earth so how they did that was just basically kidnapping people and then just just draining them of all their knowledge and uh so that's kind of again their evil plan like i was uh talking before it seems like uh every aliens that uh, tony and doug encountered um didn't seem to have uh didn't have anything good to do for earth they just they want bad things for earth this last clip i'm going to play for you again another uh kind of uh we're taking fiction and we're taking uh, fact and we're kind of um kind of merging the two together again and uh this is an episode uh which centered around um around the uh i guess uh king arthur and uh in this episode uh tony and doug uh, meet up with the uh wizard merlin ah uh, yes just as i expected toys mere toys <laughs> Simple, predictably simple. <laughs> Such a to-do about a commonplace bit of magic. Hear me, you travelers in time. It is I, Merlin, mightiest of all wizards who commands you. At a sign from me, you will leave the limbo of time and appear in this place before me. myself. I am Merlin, soon to be court wizard for the greatest monarch of them all, King Arthur of the Round Table. Gentlemen, without you, there will be serious trouble in Camelot. Serious trouble. Therefore, I must uh, press you into service. You may be killed, I can make no guarantee, except that I shall try very hard to see that you're not. When next we meet, you will remember nothing of this meeting, but you will do whatever I ask. Go. We shall meet again. So in this uh, this clip, basically Merlin, uh, he transported himself to the uh, location of the time tunnel, uh, froze all the uh, all the technicians and the people which were working on the time tunnel, and then just basically uh, intercepted uh, Tony and Doug and sent them uh, to uh, the time that uh, King Arthur was in. Uh, again, kind of an interesting episode. Uh, like say mixes uh, fact and fiction. I guess like say which saw a lot in the. Uh, 
in the the second part of this season or series of of the time tunnel uh i guess it's all fiction but uh like say less less based on based on fact than you know the the earlier seasons so uh that was kind of a look there i guess at a few of the um other time tunnel episodes not not a deep look but i just thought it might be kind of fun to play a few clips there the possibility of time travel has always intrigued man and now in abc's time tunnel you can share the experiences of two scientists trapped in the limitless reaches of the fourth dimension this is james darren inviting you to go from the prehistoric past thousands of light years into the future via the time tunnel so all in all the time tunnel lasted 30 episodes or one season at the time it was one of the most costly shows on tv so i guess it's kind of not surprising that it got cancelled after one one year apparently actually it did quite well in the ratings um but i guess they kind of made this decision um the executives did that they uh, decided they wanted to go with kind of a more factual based show instead of the time tunnel because the time tunnel started off at, at the start, you know, with with episodes which kind of dealt with um, historical events. But then it kind of um, moved away from that later in the episodes. Um, they also said maybe part of the reason for that may have been that um, the earlier episodes um, cost a lot more to make. And um, I guess Erwin Allen may have uh, used up a lot of the show's budget in the first quarter of the season and maybe that's why later in the series um we started to see some kind of weaker episodes you know the ones kind of uh with the the aliens in them um sometimes seem to look kind of a bit more low budget uh than maybe some of the earlier episodes and i, I guess maybe they're kind of falling back on doing things uh, more cheaper or less expensive and i guess maybe that might have caught them out in the end Here's a clip from James Darren, and he's talking about uh, kind of his thoughts for um, for the future of the time tunnel if they did decide to go for a second season. I really believe that that the that the um, ways to go were limitless. I mean, we could have gone to to a parallel universe. We could have traveled outside of our universe and met us, or or met. Or getting gotten into a situation that was another time tunnel. Anything. It could have just gone on. There was no limit to where it could have gone. And I think that would be a that would have been a very interesting way to go, uh, because it just would have opened it up, and made it very entertaining to the to the audience, and very interesting to us as actors to to play. Um, I I don't. I mean, you you can't get caught in the rut. And sometimes you take the easy way out, and the easy way out could be, what's the cheapest thing to do? What's the least expensive thing to do? And that sometimes happens to a show. It's unfortunate. It usually happens after the third, fourth year, when they they run out of ideas, and they say, well, let's look, we could do this for X amount of dollars, and and it's still the show. It may not be as good, but who cares after four years? So in that comment, James kind of touches on some of the things that I kind of discussed as well that, uh, you know, later in the season, some of the episodes weren't as good and, and it sounded like uh, they were kind of up against a wall when it came to budget. So, you know, that affected the, the stories that were being produced in the later part of the series. Also, some of his uh, comments as well were kind of interesting where he thought he saw the show going if they had 
continued on, like kind of going to parallel universes and maybe uh, meeting up with themselves. Those are kind of interesting concepts, and uh, that would have been uh, something uh, interesting uh, for sure if, if they would have continued on. The next clip is uh, Robert Colbert, and he's also talking a bit about where he would have liked to seen the series kind of go if they decide to go for another season. I think if we had been able to go on, it would have been a situation where we would have been able to control our destiny a little more. I think we would have been able to interact with the tunnel. We would have been able to come back and and uh, go out maybe on select assignments that we wanted to or a little more direction. That would have been... Uh, uh, beneficial to the dialogue because we wouldn't have been going into a situation each week, as you say, trying to explain our <laughs> unrealistic existence in the middle of a bunch of toga-robed uh, people there and uh, in a Norfolk jacket. Oh, boy. So uh, it would have been uh, it would have been a little different and a little easier for the writers. I mean, it's hard for a writer to reach back and pick up on a redundant uh, uh, element of surprise every week or maybe ten times within the segment itself. There would be the the incredul incredulity of our even being there, so uh, I think that would have changed. But you're right; it was difficult for us as well because there was a great deal of repetition out there that we had to uh, deal with and make realistic. I like some of Robert's comments there about uh, where he thought the the series might uh, go. I like the idea of maybe them coming back and and uh, having more more control over uh, kind of where they went in time. Like I said, going. Going out on assignments, uh, it might have uh, made the show kind of uh, interesting and maybe added a, a different dynamic to it because uh, for the most part, uh, like say, they had uh, pretty well no control where they went in time and, and like he kind of indicated, you know, part of the episode was just kind of them acclimating themselves into that situation or, or even just explaining kind of why they're there and be kind of interesting to kind of um, look at another aspect of, of them purposely maybe going somewhere. So... I thought that was um, kind of an interesting thought on where he would have liked to seen the series go if they would have continued on with another season. This is Jeff from Champ Podcast. After you finish listening to this excellent podcast, I invite you to come listen to ours. My co-host Jason and myself cover open wheel auto racing, focusing on Formula One and IndyCar. Each podcast we review the races, we talk about drivers and teams, and all the news and rumors as well. So come give us a go. We can be found at www.champpodcast.com, that's with one P, or in iTunes, search Champ Podcast. Champ Podcast, the world's fastest podcast. Forgive me for a little self-promotion. If you're interested in Formula One or IndyCar, check us out. This concludes my look at the Time Tunnel. The series can be found on Hulu and is also available on DVD in two volumes. I decided I would host a contest. The prize will be for a copy of the geek documentary Peg Warmers. It will be open to everyone, but the DVD is Region 1 and NTSC, so if you're in a different part of the world, you'll need a player that can handle it. I'll give away two copies to two people who can answer the following question. What was the name of the Star Trek series where James Darren played the reoccurring role of Vic Fontaine? Please send me your responses to jeff.job, so that's j-e-f-f dot j-o-b-b at gmail.com, or PM me in the forums. My forum name is Jedi Jeff. Title your email with Time Tunnel Contest. Please send me your responses by Saturday, May 22nd at 12 p.m. Eastern, and I will ask Rico to announce the winners on his podcast the next day after I've done the draw. I wanted to take a moment and wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. Next week, Rico will be having a Skype cast and will be discussing the summer movies. Thank you, Rico, for giving me the chance to talk about the Time Tunnel this week and opening your podcast to all of us to contribute. 
Bye for now. Hi, this is Rick Moyer, and I've got a brand new CD out to watch the stars with. It's called Stargazer. Take a listen to some of the songs. Three, two, one, zero. Launch commit. Liftoff. We have liftoff with Apollo 14. Three minutes past the hour. purchase this 13 track cd or download it at takehimwithyou.com slash stargazer stargazer a collection of songs to watch the stars with get your copy today